Kia ora. Welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. Auckland's housing problems and congested roads are legend, but for the first time the city's residents are being asked to stump up to fix other long-ignored problems. Pests and invasive weeds are choking the natural environment, and when it rains, more than a dozen beaches become health hazards as human waste overflows. Our Auckland correspondent Todd Nile looks at whether the city is ready to dig deeper to the tune of billions of dollars over the next decade. So today I'm announcing my commitment to Auckland. I will reduce your rates by 10% during my first term. What it will be about is affordable progress and value for money, savings, efficiencies and good service. I want Keeping rates low and spending as little as possible has been a popular catch cry in local body election campaigns for decades. But the amalgamation of Auckland's eight local bodies began to change the language. Well, it's an exciting day for Auckland. I'm pleased and proud to launch this compelling case for the CBD rail loop. The inaugural mayor of the Auckland Council, Len Brown, had campaigned on big, sometimes mocked projects, such as a downtown rail tunnel on which construction began before he left office. It was a sign that Auckland and an initially reluctant national-led government were ready to spend and to deal with the city's growth-related problems. But big infrastructure and a housing shortage aren't Auckland's only pressing and long sidelined problems. For the first time since amalgamation, Aucklanders are being asked if they're ready to pay more to tackle threats to native flora and fauna, sewage overflowing into streams and beaches, and the seemingly bottomless pit of spending on transport. Um, My name's Glenn Boyd. I work uh, in Auckland Council supporting the local boards and I welcome you along with tonight. It's great to be here in Avondale in this uh, beautiful hall. So tonight um, we're here for a a long-term plan, Auckland plan. There are more council staff and politicians than locals at the St Ninian's Church in Avondale, a rainy evening as consultation on the city's 10-year budget grinds through the suburbs. Since the council last calculated its long-term spending three years ago, it's lifted by more than $5 billion, the value of capital works it wants to carry out in the coming decade. The attention grabbers and the beefed-up plan are new layers of rates. There's a rate to increase investment in natural environment. The first rate, targeting water quality, has one of Auckland's most talked-about environmental problems in its sights. The outdated stormwater system, which regularly mixes with sewage and makes as many as 16 beaches unswimmable and waterways toxic. Takapuna has one of the city's best-known beaches, and it was deemed a health hazard for five days in a row last summer after prolonged rain. Well, I guess it's the first day I've kind of ventured out from work to come down and sit by the beach, so I'm a bit sad to hear that. <laughs> I think just with the sort of general news about the water quality of the beaches, we probably would kind of avoid swimming. We've got a swimming pool at home, so more inclined to stick around at home than actually swim in the sea. I was out for a walk this morning and I was like, I can smell. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know what that is, that surge. (laughs) I was pretty disgusted, really, once I clicked on what it was. 
Well, there's no sign. I haven't seen any signs or anything, and I'd probably let my kids go swimming because it's a beautiful hot day, and that's disgusting to think it's, it's like that. The problem's been known about for decades, and the answer is simple but expensive. A water quality targeted rate of $66 for an average value home would generate almost $1 billion extra to fund a massive rebuild of the stormwater system, especially in the older central suburbs. I caught up with the council's water quality manager, Andrew Chin, and St Mary's Bay, next to one of the new computerised displays that shows whether the beach is a health hazard. Back in the, I think it was the 1930s, 1940s, it was appropriate for us to combine stormwater and wastewater in the same pipe, and it was felt at the time that the dilution was good enough. So over time, uh, our expectations for water quality have improved, and uh, now we're trying to, I guess, renovate a really old part of the city to bring it up to today's standards. So the water quality rate would allow that work to be done how much quicker? About So instead of taking 30 years... Uh, the water quality rate, and, and the rate is for the stormwater side of the investment to happen with, to make the improvements within 10 years. So in 10 years' time, if all went to plan, what would this sign be saying and, and signs like it around Auckland? Well, there'll still be periods when it'll be warning against swimming because we can't build a system that can uh, be totally sealed in every rainfall event. But I'd expect instead of... Um, say spilling in one and a half mils in rain, it would take a much bigger rainfall event to cause that spill. We'd love it to be around 95% of the time you could swim, rather than at the moment it's, it's much less than that. The second layer is the natural environment targeted rate, which would cost up to $47 a year for an average value Auckland home worth around $1 million. So what gets done for less than a dollar a week per household? This spray, yeah, there we go, look, it's a biblical experience. Clean your feet. I feel blessed now. A group of overseas tourists is learning the reality of what arriving for a walk in Auckland's Waitakere Ranges now involves. The spread of the Kauri dieback disease through the iconic ranges is one of the city's higher profile and costlier environmental battles. Most of the Waitakere Ranges Regional Park will close from May and the length of available walking tracks cut to less than a quarter. I'm with Phil Brown, Auckland Council's biosecurity manager, who takes me through the new precautions that trampers and walkers will have to go through on the tracks that escape the impending widespread closures. Well, this is a Kauridaubak hygiene station, and it's designed for us to be able to clean all the dirt off our shoes and make sure that there's no Kauridaubak sneaking in on uh, any dirt in the shoes. So this is a bit of a stand with tank and a couple of sprays on it. Is this, is this found more now around the ranges? Uh, more and more. Uh, this is a pretty swept up version uh, because it's quite a high visitor use track that we're at. Uh, this is the sort of thing that we'll be looking to install more and more as uh, funding allows. The work to try to contain Kauri dieback and keep it away from other parts of the region would get an average $10 million a year boost from the higher of two targeted rate options for the natural environment. There'd be another $20 million a year to deal with other wildlife and plant pests in line with a strategy already drawn up. We'd have a program of um, much better pest control in many of our parks, most of our parks hopefully, 
um, where we'd be able to control the weeds and the um, things like possums and stoats and rats that are having such a terrible impact on our native birds and native animals like our skinks and bats and that kind of thing. Uh, would have a program of protecting our, our marine areas from um, pests. You know, we've, like we have things like possums on the mainland, um, out at sea we have things like the Mediterranean fanworm that are uh, damaging our ecosystems out there. We'd have a program to um, reduce the spread of those pests in our marine areas, as well as boosting our seabird numbers, for example. Uh, and we'd have, um, you know, we've currently got these great pest-free islands that have these really high biodiversity values, places like Tiri Tiri Matangi and uh, Rangitoto Island, um, Motuihe Island. And uh, we'd like to continue to grow those pest-free islands um, so that we have more pest-free islands and keep those pest-free islands pest-free. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, When we focus on the environment... A half-hour drive from the Waitakere Ranges, several hundred people have gathered in the Aotea Centre to discuss the plan for a rate for the natural environment. Among the panellists is Nicola Torki, who's the Department of Conservation's ambassador for threatened species. Ms Torki pointed to the value of the city's environment, such as the Hauraki Gulf and regional parks. You know, when you've got those assets all around you, it's not a lot to invest strategically in it now to ensure a sustainable return. I heard earlier today that some kiwi that were released in the Hunua Ranges, which is um, a project, I think, here, um, have already lost two to pests. So I'll I'll tell you, since 70% of people think it's sunshine and lollipops out there for our nature, here's the real statistic about kiwi. Where we don't do pest control... 19 out of 20 kiwi chicks don't survive to one year of age. I caught up later with another panellist, Margaret Stanley, who's an associate professor at the University of Auckland School of Biological Studies. I think it's a really important thing to have a targeted environmental rate because since we lost the biosecurity targeted rate with the last Auckland Regional Council, the budget has been slashed for environmental Um, services, particularly biosecurity and um, biodiversity. So it kind of dropped probably about 15% or more, which means that we're really starting to decline in our biodiversity and we can't really pick it up. While Cody Dieback grabs the headlines, Ms Stanley says weeds and wild animals, if left unchecked, pose a major threat. We've got about 2,500 native plants in New Zealand and already we've got to more than 2,500 exotic species that are breeding in the wild, but we've also got another 20,000 that are in people's gardens, in botanic gardens and forestry, and every year, just in Auckland, five become wild. So we've got this constant conveyor belt what we often call an invasion debt of things that are already here that are jumping the garden fence and becoming weeds. Good morning, passengers, and welcome to the Transport Centre. The Super City has just arrived on platform four. Transport is not surprisingly the biggest ticket item Aucklanders have to ponder this year. Public transport patronage is rising by around 7%, but 800 vehicles a week are being added to the city's roads and travel times are not expected to improve. A flat levy of $114 per household, more for businesses, will lapse after its planned three-year run. 
but those who drive in Auckland will have to stump up more than twice the amount that the levy raised for the city's transport projects. 11.5 cents a litre for petrol via a new regional fuel tax with a similar-sized lift in road user charges for diesel users. That'll generate up to $150 million extra each year, compared with $60 million delivered by the flat levy. Property owners who drive seldom or not at all will save money compared with the flat levy. Households travelling an average distance for one car will pay slightly more, while households with more than one car and travelling longer distances will pay much more. The council estimates that Auckland's most vulnerable low-income households will pick up 15% of the additional costs. The Mayor, Phil Goff, argues that those households will also be big winners. They're going to be amongst the areas that benefit most from a better public transport system. For example, a light rail going through Mangere will bring low-income folk in that suburb and in Mount Roskill much closer to the employment opportunities that that they might want to take advantage of. Giving them a public uh, transport alternative is probably the best way in which we can help. Auckland motorists will start paying in July. The major list of projects agreed between the council and government for the next decade and beyond is expected to be released soon. I think in the national elections last year we saw the first sort of environmental election. Gary Taylor has had a decades-long involvement in Auckland's governance, first in the West, then on the Auckland Regional Council, as well as being an early promoter of light rail. He's now the executive director of the Environmental Defence Society. Mr Taylor says the current list of ideas might not be the best. There's a lot of not particularly carefully thought through priorities being thrown out there at the moment. Although you may be surprised that I'm saying this, I think some of the light rail projects are in that category. I think there may be better ways of spending money, at least in the short term, to get Auckland moving. I'm not convinced that light rail to the airport is uh, the right mode. And I think that, you know, a bit of a pause and a think and a bit of consideration about the appropriate direction for all of that investment to go as called for. Aucklanders who've been wrestling with the long-promoted idea of paying a regional fuel tax also have a new complication to digest. Thank you, Prime Minister. I'm proud to be here with my colleagues and with the Prime Minister as she announces uh, what we believe is a transformative transport strategy for New Zealand. Transport can be a powerful Just five days after consultation closed on Auckland's new revenue-raising ideas, the government made the surprise announcement it may add a further 9 to 12 cents a litre in fuel excise levies spread over three years. Suddenly, Auckland's long, mulled-over regional tax is just half of a motorist's double whammy. Peter Winder was the last general manager of the Auckland Regional Council and, as a consultant, led the group commissioned by the former mayor, Len Brown, to find the best way of funding a speeding up of transport investment. He says the rising cost to Aucklanders shouldn't be a problem as long as the list of what it delivers is the right one. My sense is that if people can see that projects that would otherwise have been a a pipe dream um, can be brought forward and delivered, they'll have a rather different attitude uh, around paying. I mean, no one ever wants to pay more tax, but if you can quite clearly see that you get what you want on the other side, um, then um, there'll be 
I think, a grudging acceptance. Peter Winder expects the range of projects should be able to offer something for everyone. The commitment to public transport that's signalled in the the government's um, policy statement on transport is very significant. Um, that that ought to fund uh, you know, continued improvements in the level of service across the board. And there's you know, a, a raft of other things in there, you know, well beyond light rail, that, that should make a big difference to the performance of the system. But all of that may not be enough for Auckland's rural north and north-west. I joined Phelan Perry from the Rodney Local Board to find out about its proposal for a local transport levy of $150 per home. OK, Phelan, we're out at the Taupaki Roundabout on State Highway 16. It's not looking so bad at the moment, but it can be horrendous. How does an area out here in the countryside, how does it come to have traffic congestion problems in the rush hour? Well, I guess we've gone from being quite a small rural township, which was just servicing rural industry through to being you know quite a major suburb in Auckland. We've had a at least a doubling in population between Huapai and Riverhead and it has just turned quite rapidly over probably a period of about five or six years into a, a satellite township. The largely rural Rodney local board is now one of Auckland's fastest growing areas and the levy would raise around $4 million a year to get some transport projects started sooner. Um, We're kind of the first cab off the rank on this, on testing the water. There is a risk in that, and I guess as as politicians we're going to have to continue to hold Auckland Transport to account on that. But when you've got a $7 billion hole, $41 million is not going to suddenly plug a whole lot of gaps which enable them to go and do other more exciting projects. I think it's going to take a decade or two before we can catch up on, on what's required for Auckland. So it might come down to, well, you could argue about the niceties of it, but if you want things done, you've got to pay more. That's the hard call. It's very difficult as a politician to stand there, and I've had people, some people have said, and it does tend to be a bit of a generational thing, younger people have said, well, look, just get on and do it. It's $2.90 a week per household. We just want some better public transport. Let's get on and do it. Other people go, well, I'm on fixed income, and we can't afford you to keep putting rates up. And I understand both sides of the story. It, it is really tough and it's t- difficult for politicians to stand there and go, we're putting your rates up because that is exactly what we're proposing to do. But we're just giving people the option. And if they say no, that's fine. Some of this stuff will happen. It's going to just happen in 10 or 20 years. So how does all of that add up for Aucklanders? And whatever happened to the election promise by the Mayor, Phil Goff, that rates would rise by no more than 2.5%. The arithmetic is complicated and political. If Aucklanders pay the proposed water quality rate and the higher of the two options for the environment rate, the bill for an average value home will rise by exactly 2.5%. But that's made possible only by deducting the flat transport levy and ignoring the additional cost of a regional fuel tax. Next year, the rates for an average value home will rise by 3%, and beyond that, 4% a year. If the local transport rate is introduced in the Rodney Local Board, the rates bill for an average value home will rise by around 11%. Phil Goff points to rates rises proposed by other high-growth cities, such as Hamilton and Tauranga. Tauranga is raising its rates by 9.7% and Hamilton by 95 Here we are in Auckland with even bigger growth challenges 
and we still have an average general rate increase of 2.5%, which I promised for the term of this council. Mr Goff's election policy on rates did not say his promise applied only for his first term in office. It's a line he's added as projections for future rate rises escalate. I limited my promises to what was for the first three-year term. If I stand for re-election next year, then I will come out and indicate what, uh, what I think that it, it's honest and reasonable to promise for the further three years. But what we have done in this budget is being uh, absolutely transparent. The first budget of his three-year term delivered the 2.5% promise only by pausing a policy which slightly shifts the rate burden from businesses to homes. The second budget this year will deliver the promise only by shifting 5% or more off the rates bills and into a regional fuel tax. His third budget will push residential rates up by an average of 3%, even if an overall cap of 2.5% can be held, with higher increases in subsequent years. But if there's so much to be done, are the proposed rises really enough? Gary Taylor's not convinced. I think the idea of splitting into core rate and targeted rates is pragmatic and will help people see where the money's going, so might ease the pathway for paying more. Uh, but it's still, you know, it couldn't be described as uh, overweeningly ambitious. It, it's still just a, a good start. He says with Auckland's continued forecast growth, even the new spending might not be enough to catch up with what needs to be done. There is a definite risk, and I think that uh, you know, whilst targeted rates are pretty good, um, talking about a core rate increase of 25 or 3.5% per annum, those numbers are nowhere near realistic. And, and so this is the dilemma that the politicians have. You know, the last thing they want to do because they want to be re-elected is increase rates, but it's actually going to be required. We have spent decades under-investing. We need to catch up, we need to get ahead of the game, and that means being very realistic about what it's going to cost. In shoehorning the new rates into the 2.5% template, Council has dropped a third and higher option for the natural environment rate. It would have produced an extra $4.5 million a year, costing ratepayers less than 50 cents a week extra, over and above the $47 now proposed as the upper rate. Margaret Stanley says the higher, now discarded option is needed. If they set the budget at $47, that would be really disappointing. And I think to actually stop decline of biodiversity in Auckland, they're actually going to have to divert money from elsewhere as well. So that targeted rate can't be a maximum spend on the environment. So... Um, I guess I'd ask them to be upfront with how much is realistic to dis to stop decline of biodiversity, and set it at that at that higher rate of sixty dollars to start with. Um, ten years is a long time, and um, we could lose a lot of stuff in ten years. And finally, to all of the council's environment committee chair Penny Hulse backed the higher spend, a similar amount to the water quality rate when addressing the Aotea Centre gathering. For a mere $1.60 a week, twice, you can join our Give a Little page and you can save the environment and you can clean up our harbours. And I'm sure most Aucklanders, because all Aucklanders are pretty generous and awesome people, would go, that's great. 
Sadly, when the council asks for this, that's when you know you can feel the energy go down and people's faces change and they go, oh, I don't think so, I don't think we can afford um, $1.60 a week or $1.30 a week. We're all part of the environment. It is nowhere else, and we all need to play our part. We simply need to tell people what they're actually buying. An interim tally of public responses taken a week before consultation closed showed the biggest support for the higher of the two environmental rate options. Phil Goff cites that response as justifying the decision not to offer the highest $67 a year option. If we'd put that rate still higher again, um, you know, I'm not sure that we would have got um, that that clear majority of people saying, no, this is what we should do. Uh, three options seemed reasonable to, to councillors and to the company that advises us on how we, we, we survey professionally so that we don't bias the results and we can get a result that's meaningful, and that's what we settled on. The progress tally of public feedback shows division over the regional fuel tax, 50% in favour, 43 against and 7 uncommitted. There was two-thirds support for the water quality targeted rate and just over 50% support for one of the environment rate levels. I spoke to some of those who turned up for the Mount Eden consultation meeting. I, mean, I feel we're playing catch-up for many, many years of lack of investment and I think it's time to do it. We need to. Do you like the idea of the targeted rates? I do. I like the idea that the funding is then committed for the projects and we get a chance to have a say on the projects and have some confidence that um, long-term investments can be made. Uh, the mix is fine, I think. Um, the question is, what's it going to do to total rates? And, I mean, we've already had a suggestion of tonight that, yeah, well, it's only set for three years and then somebody will then come and change it again. So the question is, you know how affordable are rates and how much can they be increased and people be able to afford them. So is it clear to you in the mix of things, this new targeted rates, you take off the transport level, you add on the fuel tax, is it clear to you how much deeper you may end up digging to get the stuff done? Oh, no, that, that's not clear. Uh, we spent most of the evening trying to understand that. We, we possibly got there in the end, um, but no, is it, is it clear? And I won't use the word transparent, no. If anything, pretty confusing. Two nights later, at a similar meeting in Avondale, local resident Max White was ready to do his bit. I do worry for some households that own houses, but the income is is maybe prohibitive to pay the extra. How council could somehow filter the system, I'm not sure. But I personally uh, am very much prepared to pay for environmental and especially water and sewerage quick or or sped up uh, solutions to existing problems. Whether the Auckland Council does decide to dig deeper to tackle those problems and how much deeper will be known in June when it locks in the next year's budget and the pathway through the following nine years. That programme was written and presented by Todd Nile. If you'd like to load up some great listening, you can head to our page at rnz.co.nz forward slash insight, iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, we hear from Patrick O'Mara, who's been exploring where treaty settlement money is being spent and if it's benefiting iwi members. I'm Philippa Tolley, and that's all from Insight for today. Lovely to have you with us and join us again next time.